Hello and welcome to the PropTech Hot Seat here on iProperty Radio with myself, Carol Tallon, the show where we explore trends and technologies driving innovation across the built environment. The show is brought to you in partnership with PropTech Ireland, the hub for innovators, investors and indeed for industry leaders. In the PropTech Hot Seat today is Julie Connolly, CEO and co-founder of AI Mapit. Julie, you're very welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Carol. So tell us a little bit about AI Mapit. What is it and, and what does it do? Okay, so AI Mapit is a startup spin out of Trinity College. And um, we were hosted by the Adapt Research Centre, and that's where the technology was developed, uh, funded by SFI originally. The, uh, the company spun out in 2023. And we basically use AI, machine learning, and computer vision to map assets in the built environment. So how can that be used? Because, um, you know, obviously we're re- or we're hearing a lot about what AI can and can't do and the limitations. I think it's interesting that maybe there wasn't a great awareness of how AI has already been used across the built environment, but computer vision, maybe not so familiar to people. So you might just maybe explain the two technologies and how they work together and how they can be applied across the built environment. Sure. Yeah. So people are very familiar with AI now in the last year with ChatGPT, and that's basically text based processing. But there are large vision models being developed now. And it's basically imagery is just another source of media. It's another source of data. It's a much bigger source and a much more rich source. Um, so we're processing, as they say, an image is the same as a thousand words or worth a thousand words. We're extracting insights from imagery. So things like in the built environment, we're stud- we're analyzing imagery for uh, road network operators, for telecom operators, utility providers, anyone who has infrastructure deployed over large geographical areas. So for example, AIR, the telegram network here in Ireland, there's almost 2 million poles distributed over 90,000 kilometers of the road network. Um, we did a case study here over about 20,000 kilometers of road and extracted 12,000 poles. So the infrastructure um, has been built out over, you know, 100 plus years and not all poles are recorded in a database. And it's similar for if you think of road signs, you know, they're deployed without a lot of forward thinking. If you look at especially around the city, you'll see three or four poles in the same place with one sign on each of them. Um, So it's a case of being able to extract the information about the assets that are deployed and then use that information to make more efficiency uh, gains in things like planning where to put assets, you know, for network design for telecom operators even. Um, or for preventative maintenance, so monitoring the condition of the asset over time. So typically the assets we're monitoring are not moving parts. They're stationary, they're there for a number of years. For example, telegraph poles might have a lifespan of 50 years, but not, not all poles will last 50 years. Some of them will last even longer. If you can do a desktop survey rather than send an engineer to site, there's huge efficiencies to be had. So for example, our system can process imagery at a rate of 200 kilometers per hour. So to analyze the street level imagery over 200 kilometers in one hour compared to sending engineers to site who have to stop and look at the pole and take notes and write things down, which is the way it's been done currently in a lot of places. So there are huge efficiencies to be had in being able to 
capture remotely, which is being done more and more often nowadays. So we recently signed a solution provider agreement with TomTom, and they've been capturing imagery for their mapping and navigation uh, systems for over 20 years. They have a huge repository of existing imagery, and they're licensing that imagery now. So we can analyze that for any region anywhere in the world along the roadside for road network infrastructure, telecoms and utility providers, um, and we've recently started looking at proof of concept for the rail infrastructure. So looking at the assets on the railway track and monitoring those at rates that can't really be achieved manually at the moment. Um, when you talk about the the sheer volume that can be that can actually be looked at over an hour compared to the manual approach, you can really see how those efficiencies would stack up. But I suppose the big question then is going to come down to accuracy because we I, I think most people will have some level of familiarity with AI and its language processing, as, as you mentioned there. But I can only imagine that, you know, in language, it's the words that somebody has put together to describe something. An image is different because you've all of the other things around the exactly. image that's been captured. So explain to me maybe some of the differences in terms of the data that would be captured in an image compared to that maybe, um, say, if it was a report, somebody going out manually to do a report on the same poll compared to what the image would pick up. Sure. OK, so if you if you think about it, um, a car driving along a road will take an image every five kilometers, ten, sorry, five meters, um, uh, and pick up assets along the roadside. So if we take the road network infrastructure example, you have things like uh, road signs, speed signs, uh, information signs, you've got the lines, you've got the noise barriers, the culverts, all of those things are being captured every five meters. So you've got a repository of information there, say for 100 kilometers of road. And then what we've done in the background is trained our network on the types of assets that appear in those images. Um, a technology called convolution neural networks, it picks up the features of whatever type of asset it is you're looking for in the image and then creates a, a, an output based on literally the image where the asset is found, maybe a banding box around it if it's something you need to, uh, to be very specifically pointed out in an image. Um, and then we can, using our own unique IP, uh, plus some depth estimation um, neural networks, we can assign an accurate G GPS coordinate to whatever asset it is that you're interested in. So we gather enough samples so that we have representative images for the asset in all of the types of territory that it appears in. So one example I often give is um, the poles in the south of the country uh, tend to be covered in ivy for some reason. It's a, a very a hotspot for ivy down around the southeast. Um, it happens in other parts of the country too. But when we were analyzing imagery around the country, that was one thing we found that we had to actually add in extra samples of what poles looked like when they were covered in ivy so that the system was able to pick them up. So it used other things besides, say, the color and texture of the pole. It used wires coming out of the poles or um, proximity to other poles in its way of training itself to pick out those images. So basically you have to give enough sample imagery for whatever asset it is you're training and then you can go along and then there's there's precision and recall so how many times did you pick out the right asset uh you know compared to what's there in the real world and then we do a location um comparison so we do that ground truth 
ideally in person for the first, you know, couple of rounds of testing of the of the system. And then once we're up and running and we have high recall and we have achieved 95% recall on storm drain detection here in Dublin, we used a, a, a data set of imagery that was collected around the Docklands uh, during lockdown actually um, in 2020 and created our own data set of storm drains, what they look like. And that's a very high performing um, model because we were able to create um, ex take examples of storm drains in all of, all of their different types of, yeah, where they appear in the imagery. Very good. At 95%, how does that stack up against human error and human accuracy? So we've recently been speaking to a, a customer who's been doing manual recall of or manual um, annotation of assets, and they would say their accuracy is about 75%. So a system, I mean, a system can go wrong. It'll never be 100%, but it tends to be more accurate. It doesn't get tired. It doesn't, um, you know, th there's no biases. Well, there can be biases, but typically with the kind of imagery we're, we're looking at, there, there aren't biases built into the models. So it does tend to be quite significantly more efficient and faster um, and cheaper than the manual equivalent. That's really interesting. I think people would be surprised to hear that. That, mm. uh, that the human accuracy is actually so low. So um, tell me a little bit about your, your one of the co-founders. So when you were looking at this technology, what, were you led by the ability uh, and the ability that you believed you could achieve through the technology? Or did you have a guiding use case in mind when you were looking at this? So, as I said, we, we started life in the Adapt Research Centre and it was actually a problem that air brought to trinity and said is there a computer vision solution to this because we need a snapshot of our inventory that we're making a business decision and it's the same with most telecom operators none of them have a completely up-to-date inventory because the network is moving a lot of moving parts pulls are taken down for new properties being built you know new pulls are are installed or where fiber is being put underground and the poles are no longer needed. And all of those things have implications for, you know, the completeness of the database. So how do you see this being deployed? You know, you mentioned a couple of use cases there um, across telecoms and transport. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm very aware and I know people listening in here, particularly if they've been at the startup stage, whether it's a university spin out or otherwise, there's a commercial reality here that sometimes you have a technology that you think would be great in one sector, but actually there's there's a commercial use case. There's there's something that could actually help develop this technology. Where do you think, I suppose, the early wins for the company will be? Because you're at a really interesting stage where you've developed the technology. You have your you have proof of concept at this stage. Is that yes, fair to say? Yeah, yeah. 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 So in terms of, you know, how would you ideally like to see this evolve? So we we're looking for a use case that has a recurring problem that we're solving. So in the early days when we started out, it was uh, creating inventories of assets. But you literally can only do that like the first time. And then, you know, you might an operator might want to do it every year or every two years. So that's not something that you can create a, you know, a business model from investors look at this and say, what's my monthly recurring revenue here? So ideally we're looking at condition monitoring. We're looking at something that is changing um, and needs to be monitored on a regular basis. 
and where imagery can be captured easily. So one use case that's come up recently that we think is uh, potential in that space is on the rail network. So special engineering trains traverse the track on a regular basis. They can have equipment mounted to capture imagery as the train is traversing the track. And then we can analyze that on a daily basis. And sometimes that's needed. So things can happen with, for example, the clips that attach the sleepers to the track. And they're an essential part of the safety. They're, they're safety critical uh, to, the, to the network. So that's something that, you know, because we can analyze at a rate of an image per second, you know, it's a very fast process. Once the network once the models have been set up and we are we're happy with the recall that we can achieve on the particular asset, whether it's the the overhead wires or you know some aspect of the actual functioning of the train track itself. Um, so once that model's in place, it's a case of gathering the data and analyzing it at a regular interval. That so that's ideally where the use case will be. Um, so very yeah, good. very excited with that one. Um, but there are but 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 I mean there there are plenty of other less critical but equally valid use cases so for example um road network infrastructure like road signage you know you've heard recently that they want to reduce the road signs in a lot of cases from 80 to 50 or 50 to 30 like we could do an inventory of the whole country in a couple of weeks and tell you where all the 80 signs are or all the 50 signs are you know with an accurate gps coordinate so you send the truck out to those exact locations with the exact equipment you need you know much more efficiently than would be done if you if you drove the roads, you know, daily to find them. So there is yeah. a, a, an intersection of where the data is available, where the need is available, where, you know, and ideally the value that the system gives to its customers so that they can see we're either increasing their revenue, reducing their cost or reducing the risk, you know, to health or to equipment or whatever it is. Yeah, I have you have you looked at maybe um, a range of smart city solutions? Because I, in the last number of years, I've been very fortunate uh, to be involved with leading cities, um, the global organization based out of Boston, and they run uh, this program, the Acceli City, it's called. So it's basically an accelerator for smart city programs, but it's a global one. So, um, you know, every, every year we get to, uh, there's you know, there's a judging panel set up and we get to look at, uh, the potential solutions to problems uh, right across right across the planet. Uh, and it's really interesting sometimes to look at the solutions that are put forward in different parts of the world. But for me, what, what I'm always most curious about is for me, it's less almost about the solution. I love when a problem is identified because you very rarely have a problem in one city that isn't in another. I know obviously there are ge geographic differences and it's amazing how different geographies have a different tolerance to that problem. So mm. in some places, it's just accepted as a way of life. In other places, it's accepted as, or it's seen as a problem that is worthy of resourcing and addressing. And actually, as we're seeing, as we're seeing this evolve through smart cities technologies, have you kind of toyed with any use cases across there? You know, just, well, I know you mentioned the drains, the storm drainage. Yeah, yeah. So in the same uh, data set, we were able to extract the the road signs, the telegraph poles. And as it happens, there aren't many in cities because a lot of it goes underground in fiber. But we did find poles that were decommissioned, but still in situ. Um, and they would pose a health and safety risk. So that was one potential use case. Um, bins, benches, bike tracks. You'd be amazed at the things that are in the city that people 
no one can see and are there, but the databases that they're stored in for the city are siloed into, you know, the lampposts, the poles, the benches. So in a way, the, the front end visualization of the city and the assets that are in it would be, you know, what we would be the kind of background technology for, if you know what I mean. So we would produce the inventory of all the different assets. Um, and again, it's a case of, is the data being collected? Is the need there? You know, like for example, one of the use cases that Dublin City Council were interested in when we when we spoke to them was life boys, because, you know, they're a threat to life if they're not there. They're regularly stolen or vandalized, but the imagery to monitor that isn't available. So in that case, a solution is more like an RFID or something that, you know, sends an alarm when the thing is displaced. Um, but things like signage, you know, street clutter and three or four signs in, in one location. If you had, if you already had a map of where all the poles were in the city and you need to put a new sign somewhere, pull up the image, see what signs are there, you know, make a decision based on that. So Things like that. And the other big use case is 5G and the densification of a 5G network. So looking for the real estate that can host Pico cells for 5Gs as they're, as they're being rolled out was one of the big. And there is a big telecoms project here in uh, in Dublin. The, they start a new telecom group within Dublin City Council. So that's an area we'll be monitoring to be able to tell, you know, here's the inventory of all the possible real estate where you could deploy your Pico cells for all of the operators. So that's something that, you know, has a value. And because there's an ownership there and there's, you know, a real estate associated with it has its uh, rental property and so on that, you know, that's something that would be very valuable to all the players in the market. So the people rolling out the networks, the people operating them, the people selling the space on the towers or the buildings or the bus stops or the lampposts or whatever it tends to be. So, yeah, so that, that there's, there is a huge amount of potential. We said this before, but it's the case of we're at the stage now where we've just gone out of the university. We've got our pre-seed funding from Enterprise Ireland. We have a couple of test cases proven where the technology works. And now we're looking for, you know, the one that will really get the company making money. <laughs> yeah, no, no. And commercialization is a really important next step. And I look, I, I think we've kind of shared a lot about the potential of the technology here. And hopefully people listening in today, irrespective of whether they work across um, the, you know, whether it's the renewables infrastructure, um, uh, transport or right across the built environment, they might just be able to think of a use case. Are you open to people um, contacting you about potential use cases for trial? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. We, we we're contacted from all over the world. We've we've recently had um, a company in South Africa contact us and say, could you analyze? And this is an area where infrastructure isn't already deployed. So it's a building, uh, you know, project and they want to survey to see where they should put equipment and infrastructure. So the use cases are almost endless. Um, what we're looking for are the ones that have an urgent need and have a value, you know, that we can clearly demonstrate with the way our technology works. Right. Well, that's that's as much value as we're adding to the industry today. Before I let you go, I want to I want maybe for you know, you're still very much in the trenches in terms of innovating and bringing not just a big new technology, but an expensive new technology uh, to the marketplace. Mm -hmm. And and that that's a that's a difficult process in itself. So maybe for some of our 
founders um, and our, our, our founders and our innovators who are at an even earlier stage, you might just share maybe just some of the things that maybe you wish you had known. I mean, you mentioned to me off air that you did your master's in AI in the 90s. So, you know, there's there's a yeah. huge amount of learning and, uh, you know, so the education piece, you know, sometimes when you're introducing new technology, you have to, there's a huge part of educating the, the marketplace as mm-hmm. to the potential benefits, you know, and whereas actually I think bringing this technology to the market in 2024 is very different than if you'd been trying to do it in 93. You know, you've got the supporting. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, there is a really good ecosystem in Ireland for, you know, new founders with innovation. The university has been really supportive. Enterprise Ireland has been really supportive. There's been, there, there's lots of accelerators depending on the type of technology that you're trying to commercialize. Um, we've been invited to the Google Startup Program, the NVIDIA Startup Program. There's an endless number, but it, it is people's willingness to help along because they know at the end of the day, you know, a win is a win for everyone. If you have a technology that's going to make life easier or automate something that's currently very manual or, you know, generally reduce emissions in some area then everybody wants that and and there's a great buzz around you know that feeling of having something really innovative that you can bring to market quite quickly you know so like engaging with us over a couple of weeks we'll know fairly quickly if we have a use case and a high enough performance of a system that we could deploy in the market and the as it's a case of there's a lot of data to be analyzed and what you're extracting is actually a small amount of very useful information that very could good. take a very long time to gather. So, um, so the, the the friction in in integrating our technology is quite low. It's a case of you know we we actually need to train a model on the type of asset you're interested in, unless it's a standard thing like a, a pole or a road sign or you know something that. Uh, models exist for already and we have a couple of those but if it's the bespoke model it's a case of yeah we we do need commitment and and kind of a a co-creation process because with all artificial intelligence what you're teaching a machine is what the human knows and when there's human expertise that needs to be built in that process is you know we meet you so your expertise is in uh, rail clips or telegraph poles or road signs and all of the things that are interesting about those for you and your business or your organization. Um, So there is a kind of a technology transfer both ways or an information transfer both ways in creating something that can ideally then be deployed across multiple territories or organizations or markets. You know, the the co-creation model, it is a different, it is a different approach to essentially winning new business it's a different way to have to to bring the market along with you is there an understanding or an appreciation of that and is there a willingness to engage at that level i think when people see the value that's you know can be created from something like this they do but it tends to be companies that are already very innovative they're aware of potential benefits of ai they have the data and the tools already and they see where they you know the the roadblocks are for current technology and how AI could help ease some of that uh, going forward. So we we know that, you know, we have to reduce emissions. We know that the built environment is becoming busier because people want to live in cities and our populations are growing. So we do need to be more efficient in how we 
build in how we maintain and how we monitor yeah um infrastructure across the board so what was what was okay being done manually up till now won't be okay in future we just won't be able to afford the carbon not the money the carbon output that those processes currently expend yeah that's a, that's a really important and compelling point you know just um uh, in the last year, you know, we've had uh, speakers on stage at construction events talk about the importance of not just the cost of construction, um, but actually the carbon cost. And we know that that's a huge factor now. And I think our maybe our tendering process and our procurement has is is going in that direction. It's just not there yet. But we absolutely know that that's that's where we're heading. Um. Thank you so much, Julie, for your time. I suppose finally, before we let you go, um, you might just or you might just share with us maybe your I I don't want to say kind of what the roadmap looks like for AI Mapit, but maybe what the ambitions are for the AI Mapit team over the next year or two. Yeah. Okay. So as I say, we're at a stage now where we have pre-seed funding, and our goal is really to roll out proof concepts across a number of different sectors and really to nail down the commercial. Um, yeah, contracts with companies that are interested in using it. So for the next year, we're we're looking at growing the team, taking on some investment and building a platform around the technology that we have. So Super. Well, look, the very best of luck to you. And I know I, I, I'd love to touch base with you again, you know, maybe towards the end of the year and just see how things are going. And certainly if we've any, if we come across any potential use cases that we think would be really interesting for our project, I'll definitely send them in your direction. I would ask anybody listening in today to do the same because this is a really good opportunity to be able to uh, explore things. And again, the co-creation process is so important here that we want the built environment to uh, the industry to to step up and uh, share the problems. That usually isn't a problem. So exactly. we, we just need we know there are loads of problems. So let's see if we can narrow down some that could actually be solved or certainly addressed or explored using your technology. So very best of luck to the team. And I look forward to to hearing as as uh, the journey progresses. That was Julie Connolly, CEO of, you're very welcome. That was Julie Connolly, CEO and co-founder of AI Mappet. My thanks to producer Katie Talon and to the audio team at Hear Me Roar Media. Before we go, just a special word of thanks to our sponsor, PropTech Ireland, for supporting the podcast and making these conversations possible. And also thank you indeed for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode of the PropTech Hot Seat here on iProperty Radio. In the meantime, please be sure to subscribe and check out all of the other Irish and international real estate and construction shows on iPropertyRadio.com. Thank you.